Hello there and welcome to the Every Ounce Podcast. Here we talk all things mental health, wellness, and resilience. I'm your host Lexi and I am determined to bring you a one-stop shop for all things related to mental might. Join us for talks about naps and fruit snacks to the most real and raw conversations of life. This is where you will find community, validation, and most importantly, strength. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Once again, I'm here with a virtual Instagram colleague. Emily Travis is with us today. She's a registered dietitian and certified eating disorder specialist. She has her own practice and is passionate about all things food and faith. Emily is currently living in her hometown in Houston, Texas. She's a dog mama to Luna and is engaged to be married. Emily, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's so fun. I've had a couple of dietitians and they always bring me so much goodness and education. And so I'm like, keep them coming. Let's go. You know, (laughs) I know. I just enjoy like meeting people too from all over. So yeah. Oh yeah. Really cool. So introduce yourself. How did you get into becoming a non-diet dietitian? What's kind of your background and your story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, great question. I like to start with this. <laughs> um, I grew up always being an athlete. I played volleyball was my sport of choice and was always just really good at science and math as well. I liked that there was an answer to things, um, which I know is not always true in life, but um, grew up playing sports. I considered playing volleyball in college and actually had um, some opportunities to, but just was super burnt out on the sport by that point and just wanted to have a quote unquote normal college experience and not have to manage being a student athlete and school and a social life and all of those things. And so I dropped my sport as I went to college and kind of felt this intense cultural pressure to maintain my health. Um, and since you can't see me, I'm using air quotes <laughs> with my finger <laughs> to like maintain my health, right? Because um, we get this, this pressure, you know, to, to look a certain way, to eat a certain way in order to quote unquote, be healthy. Um, and I think I had to kind of struggle with that to some extent in order to figure out what I was doing before all of that was probably better for me, um, than any of the, the means that I went to, to try and accomplish health. Um, and so I think through trying to figure out how to make myself healthy also struck this interest in nutrition. Um, I'm an Enneagram too, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, <laughs> I like to help people. And so like becoming a doctor or a nurse or a dietitian, something in that profession was very appealing to me because I wanted to be able to help people uh, and just educate on things that we can all relate to. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, I had to read intuitive eating in college and then even in grad school, I got to rotate through different eating disorder treatment facilities and really recognize some of my blind spots that I had with not only food, but body image and exercise. Right. And it all kind of like came together in this really beautiful way. Um, and then, you know, to get the education too from health at every size, intuitive eating and being like, oh, like these things make so much sense. Why was I trying to make it so difficult for myself? I didn't need to be doing all of that. Um, and I, I truly believe, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. And so I feel like it was very much a calling and something that I was directed into um, to go down this route and practice in this way. 
Right. I feel kind of similarly, like there's other things that I've been interested in doing and whether, whether or not I was going to pursue them like in college and make a career out mm-hmm. of them. Then I was like, no, you know what? I didn't go through what I've been through for nothing. Totally. And this is, this seems to be my little purpose and, and that's what I'm going to pursue. And so I've, I've loved every minute of it and I've had enough of a taste of an eating disorder and that body image dissatisfaction and everything that I can relate to my future clients and whatnot. And so I'm eager to get going down this road of mental health counseling. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, I don't think that everybody has to have experienced it in order to help people, Mm -hmm. Um, but it definitely doesn't hurt, especially if you've come out the other side stronger and just more aware and educated. I mean, I kind of had my eating spout and then I had separately my mental health spout. Um, And both of those things, I think just um, were horrible and I wouldn't wish them upon my worst enemy, but also- allow me to relate to my clients in a really unique way as well. Yeah. And I I think that there's some stigma almost in the professional field of you're not supposed to share your own story. And obviously there's so many eating disorder therapists, dietitians, whatnot that are, that are sharing their own personal background. And I think it's so helpful when I learned like halfway through my recovery, when my eating disorder therapist said, you know what, Lexi, I know because I've been there. And I was like, are you kidding me? Why did you not tell me this sooner? I would have had so much more trust in you. You know what I I mean? And I gave my poor therapist a run for her money, but I was just just like, oh my goodness, why why did I not know this from the beginning? And so ever since then, I've always been like, I'm going to be open and honest about what I've been through in my story and and there's no going back. So Mm -hmm. yeah, very cool. I wanted to talk about kind of orthorexia 101. I talk about this on my account, but I've never really brought it up on the podcast yet. So I just wanted to ask you, what is it? What are the symptoms of it? And how can individuals recognize it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Great question. I mean, I think orthorexia these days is such a buzzword. Um, We know a lot about it. We like hear people reference it, but what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not a part of our official diagnostic criteria yet. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't technically be diagnosed with orthorexia, um, but I would categorize it as an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. sometimes we see that categorized as well with like exercising or some other form of rigidity, maybe a body image element, maybe not, but really this clean eating focus Mm -hmm. again with your quotes. I think the rigidity piece is huge and and not only with orthorexia, but with any eating disorder or even disordered eating, maybe you're not even to a point where you have an eating disorder. Um, But if someone is so stuck on the things that they're doing, the food rules, the X, Y, and Z that they can't be flexible or spontaneous or travel, or maybe it then impacts the relationships or their family dynamic. I feel like those would indicate an issue, Um, even separately from that's more behavioral. We also have medical issues as well that can stem from eating in ways that are too rigid or too structured or inadequate. Um, So we, we kind of balance this whole emotional relationship with food and physical relationship with food. Um, And there's so much gray area. I think a lot of times people think, well, I either have an eating disorder or I don't. And however true that may be, uh, it's such a continuum because we start out, you know, maybe normal intuitive eating type person. And then a lot of little decisions have to happen or a lot of different circumstances have to come into play in order for someone to then actually have an eating disorder. Um, But being a problem dieter is definitely right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people just 
don't recognize it because it is so normalized in our culture um, that they don't think that it's a problem. So the people that, that are struggling are like, well, so-and-so does this, like, why is it a problem for me, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I remember, like, I was diagnosed with anorexia, obviously, because orthorexia is not a diagnosable, you know, disorder or illness right now. And so, but when me and my parents kind of started to do some research on eating disorders at the beginning of my recovery, it was all just so much information overload. At the time, they kind of stumbled across it and was like, hey, Lexi, we're trying to just understand what you're going through. And this seems like what you're describing to us. Yeah. And, and so I was kind of like, yeah, that is, that is kind of what I'm going through. That's kind of my situation is in a health obsessed, quantity focused based disordered eating. And, and it was extremely difficult because like you said, it's so normalized. And unfortunately I always, I I think of how many individuals are making a career out of orthorexia based eating or exercise and whatnot. And I mean, I'm definitely not anti-health. I'm definitely not anti-exercise or nutrition, but when it becomes so obsessive, that's when it's harmful and toxic yeah. to our mental and physio, physical well-being. And so I just think it needs more awareness, honestly. And, and it's hard because it is that gray area. I mean, it has to be that gray area. And so finding that balance for one person may be different for someone else. And so that's what we're trying to kind of bring that awareness to. So I guess my question for you is what changes do you think need to be made in our society in order to kind of stop this orthorexia in this diet culture? Yeah, oh, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's so cyclical. Um, we see it happen time and time again, and it's so sad and frustrating. But I think people, well, first off, our, we can't help that our diet industry is a $72 billion industry. I mean, right. they're about making money, right? They want you to come back to the the fad diet, the product, the detox tea, et cetera, whatever that is. Like their goal is that you'll need it again. Um, and I think people are vulnerable and they're lost and they're confused. And when we have diet industries with marketing schemes that involve celebrities or commercials that play between our favorite show or, you know, Instagram ads, TikTok ads, it's on Facebook, like, you know, it's everywhere and we're just surrounded by it constantly. And so I think it's really difficult to think straight in a world where we're constantly hit with those types of messages. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel like, and maybe this is a little outside the box, but I feel like we need to be educating our youth on intuitive eating because we're born naturally knowing how to eat. Baby cries when it's hungry, it stops when it's full. Like those are very innate cues that we're born with. And I believe that we're taught to unlearn how to trust our body when we experience diet culture. And mm -hmm. so if we could address people at a much younger age and even like a health class or something about right. here's what intuitive eating is, you're allowed to eat these foods. Here's these cues that your body's going to experience. Here's how you can follow them. Like what a valuable education oh, yeah. that would be when they start seeing these mixed messages and being like, oh, that's weird. I didn't learn that in school. Like that must be a load of crap or whatever. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Because I just, I, I think we're taught the wrong thing in school and then that's supported by the diet culture messaging. And then it just, you know, becomes a, a worse and worse problem over time. I agree. I, I always wonder what my life would look like mm -hmm. if in my health classes, I was never taught to calorie count 
or look at nutrition labels Mm -hmm. or weigh myself or BMI or things like that. And I'm like, how different would my life look? Because I probably wouldn't have experienced what I did. Or if I would, it probably wouldn't be to such a great extent. And I probably wouldn't have the career that I'm going to have. And where else, where would I be? Probably in who knows where. And, (laughs) and I just, oh my goodness. I just think about how different it would look for me. And one thing that me and I kind of tag my mom along with me is we go advocate at the Capitol some, uh, you know, through Nita's um, advocacy day for an eating disorder prevention in schools act. And that's what they are kind of focused on is these screenings, these information about intuitive eating, these more accurate, more realistic ways of, of a lifestyle surrounding mm-hmm. health. And so that's where I'm also very passionate. So I'm very glad that you brought that up. Yeah, that's so cool that y'all go and do that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's fun. And I get to take the day off of school and work. So I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to go. <laughs> yeah. I, after looking through some of your posts, I want to talk about what you call dating in diet land. And I think this is so interesting because I'm at an age where dating is so prominent and here in college dating and diet culture are like the biggest hot topics out there so I I think there's such a crossover between this diet culture and this dating culture there's some toxicity of both and and there's these rules to follow such as like what somebody looks like um what we call this revenge body after like a a breakup or or something And even like weight loss correlating with attractiveness in culture what would you give, what advice would you give to those young adults that are struggling with this right now? And, and what's that number one piece of advice that you'd give them? Oh man, Alexis, you're about to put me on my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's take, let's get on that soapbox. This is where I want to (laughs) be. Oh my gosh. It, you know, it, it just sucks. It really sucks. I mean, not only trying to date in the midst of a pandemic, I can't imagine that for single people right now, but (laughs) Um, you know, let alone all the other pressures and just, just madness that we're met with. Um, I actually started out with dating in diet land when I myself was dating. Um, and of course, like within a month of that, (laughs) I met my now fiance. Um, (laughs) but my whole idea was to like get on these dating apps and like screenshot diet culture messages that people were posting on their profiles or sending Mm -hmm. to me because Mm -hmm. you know on my profile I tried to be very honest and I said I was a dietitian and that just came with so many questions about well how do I do this with food what should I do this oh you'd be so proud of me for doing this and I'm like can can we talk about like anything else right Um, (laughs) and so um, you know, I had this opportunity to gather all this information. And, and even after me and my fiance were, were dating and then engaged, I was like, can I just make a fake profile so that I can gather all this information <laughs> so I can share with people? And he was like, oh my, that's really deceitful. I don't think you should do that. And I was like, oh. but um, it did cross my mind for, for a greater cause, of course. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. But it, it, we can't know what we don't know. And I just feel for the people who um, feel like it's, you know, uh, an accomplishment to post about their weight loss journey or um, whatever people post on their, I don't even know anymore, what people post on their profiles or feel the need to highlight or talk about. And, um, you know, so many self-sabotaging things that I remember seeing too, um, or just unhealthy, disordered relationships with food that they were trying to make like sarcastic and funny. And I was just like, 
it's not funny. Right. Um, and so I think it's, it's common, it, diets are everywhere and it becomes something that I think people feel like they can connect to other people through um, because it is such a common topic. And so we have that kind of happening first off. Um, and then we have the diet culture industry playing into that in, in playing shows like The Bachelor. It's on right now, so we can talk about that. Right. Um, and like everyone is in a thin body, you uh -huh. know, barely any. I mean, they're working on definitely bringing out more race diversity in the show. That's mm -hmm. been really clear, but there's not a lot of diversity, if any, in size diversity. Yeah, I think um, that every time I watch yeah show yeah time. yeah and, and I'm sure that there's even more types of diversity that people could bring up and talk about in regards right. to the show and I'm, I'm not quite speaking to it in all of its justice but um I think in our media and the people that we see that get a lot of traffic on social media platforms and uh things like that just reinforce this thought of oh well I must have to look like that in order to participate or in order to get likes or in order to get attention etc cetera, etc cetera. um so I don't doubt that that is greatly impacting people's perspective of themselves the relationship with food um I don't know if you're on TikTok or not I am dabbling um but people <laughs> do this whole like what I ate in a day and I, I can't help but think people compare to that and right. like, is that what I should be eating or not eating? If I eat that, do I look like them? Do I want to look like them? Like it just creates so many questions as a result mm -hmm. of that. Um, it's comparison culture, really. I mean, right. diet land is comparison culture um, and diet culture and all the other things that, that go along with that, but definitely makes it really hard to not only love and embrace yourself for who you are, but also be vulnerable and be like, I'm going to show up in this dating life and just be me and people better love me for mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. We have so much pressure that we need to be someone else in order to be loved. And that's just not true. Right. And I think there's so much to talk about, especially when it comes to like when individuals need to find acceptance when they eat more than their partner or just mm -hmm. simple little things like that, that we've created so much negativity about when it really shouldn't be that big of a deal like it's just part of life um or even like just creating these boundaries around food or body and exercise in in dating first of all congratulations on being engaged i'm very happy for <laughs> you. you someday i'll be there <laughs> that's so exciting but i kind of wanted to touch on you made a post about how you wouldn't shrink your body for this big wedding day, you know, mm -hmm. celebration and whatnot. Can you kind of touch on that as well as talking about like a revenge body? Why is that negative? Why is that toxic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I knew getting engaged and going throughout this process would be interesting, I will say, just because we have things like shedding for the wedding or oh, yeah. I'm sure there are other little phrases that I'm just not even thinking of right now, but um, it's again, like another diet culture focused industry um, that people feel this pressure of this big event and I wanna look a certain way and, you know, magazines look a certain way and these are gonna be pictures around my house and, you know, all this added societal pressure um, that I was very well aware of going into the fact and, um, you know, in some aspects, I definitely think it's made it easier when I am encountered with diet culture throughout this process. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I think at times it is still difficult, even for someone like me who has done the body image work, who has a healthy relationship with food. Um, and there's still times of like, oh, I wish my body looked different, or I wish this fit like this, or mm-hmm. whatever that thought may be, you know. Um, but I feel like maybe it's my experience, maybe it's not. Um, I mean, first off, I do think that because I'm in a smaller body, my experience looks different from other people's hundred percent. Um, but I also think it's been very different planning a wedding in the midst of a pandemic, because there's a lot of things that I just haven't been able to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. my fiance is from Colorado we're getting married in Colorado. And so we picked a venue before we saw it in person. We're not going to be able to do a cake tasting or food tasting. Um, you know, I had to, go dress shopping with a mask on with my mom and like the the dress person like that was it like no friends no nothing and so um it's it's been a very altered experience from what I think I would have initially pictured um and there's areas of it like I said that have been easier than I expected and then also areas where I felt like it was more difficult but um luckily I think I've surrounded myself with people who like their values are the same as mine my fiance is a rock star I mean as far as just consistently reminding me like I don't love you for what your body looks like right (laughs) you know and and even speaking to his own body image concerns I think just normalizes it for me as well um and so I think having that open communication has been just amazing um and it's tough it is just tough um but in regards to things like revenge body I feel like I've seen this a lot in social media, especially on TikTok, um, especially, oh my gosh, people have been posting like what my body did in a year. And I'm like, oh I yes, I don't, that's the least interesting thing <laughs> Why do about I care? <laughs> Yeah. Like I would much rather learn about the new hobbies you gained or the friends you made or where you mm-hmm. moved to. Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's such an interesting thing because I think it, there was probably a point in my life when I probably fell into this as well, or like at least thought pattern wise believed it. Um, And I think it's the idea that if I'm in a smaller body, if I change what my body looks like, then my partner will then be either jealous I'm gone Mm -hmm. or more interested in me. Maybe they'll want me back, et cetera. But let's think about this, people. Like, if that person wants you back because your body is smaller, what message is that sending to you? Right. Like, that is sending you the message that you're more valuable because you're smaller, that they're, you're more desirable because you're smaller. And mm-hmm. I don't believe those things to be true. And if you're with a partner who thinks that, you're only going to be caught in that diet culture cycle and constantly restricting or doing manipulating food in order to be this person that maybe doesn't align with your values or doesn't right. feel normal or right to you, but you're doing it for someone else whose values are not on the same page as yours and is you know, prioritizing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, dating in Dietland can be so complicated and so complex. Um, oh my goodness. There's so much that we could talk about, but we'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> I know. I told you. I told you. Myself, I was ready. Oh, it's so good. Such good content. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also wanted to mention weight stigma, like you were talking about, and specifically in healthcare. And this weight-centric healthcare system that we kind of have going on, as far as like a, a thin person versus someone more in a, a, a bigger body or a fat body at a doctor's office, what that might look like mm-hmm. and, and what this concept, I know at the beginning you talked about health at every size, what this concept is and what that means. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So health at every size doesn't necessarily mean that someone is healthy at every size. I think that that is a common misconception of the acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically what it means is we are going to practice health promoting behaviors regardless of where your weight is at. And those things can improve your health over time with the intent to reduce any weight stigma that you may have received from a healthcare provider in the past. Um, I know I've had clients go to the doctor with similar issues, but in very different body sizes, maybe someone in a smaller body, someone in a larger body, and maybe the person in the smaller body received more direct feedback on the issue itself. And the person in the larger body was told, lose weight and come back to me. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's not why I came. Like I didn't come right. to feel about being on a diet. I came for this issue that you're no, that you're not really helping me with. Um, and so I think we have to check ourselves because, you know, I, I'm sure that I had some biases in my past that I have had to work through and just recognize as a blind spot. Um, but I don't think that a lot of our doctors is, are as aware Um, or just healthcare providers in general are as aware of how damaging that can be and how it's not helpful. We're not getting to the issue, to the, to the target issue. Um, Because what, what weight stigma can cause is for someone in a larger body to not want to go back to the doctor, to struggle with an illness or sickness for longer than they need to because of the shame they might experience by going to the doctor's office, like struggling with this cold or this maybe broken hand or I don't know, um, mm-hmm. maybe more tolerable to them than the shame or embarrassment it might take to go back into a doctor's office and have to stand on a scale or have to um, be told to lose weight again. Um, and people don't realize the damage that that can cause as a result. Right. And I think it's important to note that like someone could be very healthy in a big body and someone could be very unhealthy in a smaller body or vice versa. You just can't look at someone and determine their health based off of their size. And I think that's kind of the emphasis there is that there's so much more going on than our weight and our weight has really not a lot to do with our health. And um, I think a lot of times we correlate that with health and that isn't necessarily what we should be doing. And um, so I think... I think not only understanding this emphasis in healthcare, but also just kind of like our innate um, biases towards other individuals is also important to recognize. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or like where people's backgrounds were, where they were before this point. I mean, there's just so many different things that go into our life's journey um, that then impact our body size. And people are just so quick to make judgments and we don't have all the information with a snapshot of someone's outside to really know them fully as a person. Right. Before you kind of talked about and, and just how you mentioned our life's journey and, mm-hmm. and things like that and how we can use more education, especially to youth and young adults, as far as parents or individuals are concerned, how can we as a society in general change our language to become more helpful in informing others about intuitive eating? Mm-hmm. I always like planting the seed, right? Because I know I've had certain people in my life that I knew needed to hear about intuitive eating, but they weren't ready to hear it or they weren't in a place where they were ready to even try it or accept that that was an option. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of mini conversations along the way in order for them to open up and be like, okay, Emily, like, tell me what this intuitive eating thing is about. Like, I want to know more. (laughs) Um, 
And so I think it takes protecting yourself and protecting your energy because you don't want to like talk to a blank wall about intuitive eating. Like the wall's not going to do anything, you know, just like someone who's got their walls up literally um, Mm -hmm. and isn't ready to hear that. And so I think it could be like saying little things like, you know, you should get what you're, you're in the mood for, or, oh, you know, I know you don't have time, but like, you should probably have something for lunch or could be these little comments that you say in someone's day-to-day life that remind them intuitive eating is an option and is normal and is okay. Um, And I think one day they'll start listening to those or they may take failure on another route. Like they may try a fad diet or something and it didn't work for them. And they're suddenly in this place of no direction. And you're like, hey, like, do you want to go get lunch? Or, you know, we should do this or let's, you know, do that. And they might be like, oh yeah, like I I can eat pizza. Like I can do that. Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. is a normal option that I could do. Um, So I think it's about planting those little nuggets of knowledge, um, the seeds of information over time and, and being a constant, not shaming that person or judging that person for whatever journey they're on, because it may just have to look different from yours until they're ready to make the jump to intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but just creating a really open area for, for curiosity, for communication. Um, and I think just being there for the, whoever that person is who needs to form a healthier relationship with food. Um, may just take longer or shorter than what your journey was like, but right. I don't believe that it's impossible. Yeah. And I loved that you created a post, some content around like some examples of things that we could mm. say. And some of those really stuck out to me, like um, saying, are you hungry? Like, what are you hungry for? Versus, oh my gosh, like kid, you weigh all of that? Like, you know, mm. what the heck? Or, or even something like, hey, you can eat all foods and still be healthy versus, hey, enjoy eating this while you're so young, you know, something along those lines, because I still distinctly remember like Thanksgiving dinner. I, Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with eating ham and I still am. I love ham to death, Mm -hmm. but I remember like my grandparents, my family and my extended family and whatnot commenting and being like, don't, it'll catch up to her. Like she's so (gasps) small, you know, whatnot. And they don't even know. They don't even know that they said that they would never remember that they said that nobody else paid attention to it but me and I have no idea how old I am but for whatever reason I distinctly remember that conversation Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to recognize that these little things that we say are so impactful and I also think that that growing up even comments about my body and not because I was a bigger kid but because I was a smaller kid too people being like her weight will you know she'll get there like this is how so and so was too and then they got married had kids look at them now you know what I mean and so just these comments about weight that have always kind of stuck with me and so this misinformation about intuitive eating or about weight and and I think I kind of took it as a mentality of I'm going to prove them wrong and Mm -hmm. and so then that spiraled into so much disordered eating and so much diet culture and Mm -hmm. and just this toxicity around food and So I think understanding those clear and direct ideas and examples of what we can say to other individuals and even recognizing those things in ourselves, kind of like the the self-talk that we give to ourselves around food is so critically important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think practicing those little one-liners too, that you can throw back at people. Um, Because even like when you're you're talking about the comments about from family about your body, I know I've been on the receiving end of things like that as well in in a number of different ways. Um, But saying like, 
oh, you know, all bodies are good bodies or right. uh, my body's always changing, uh, things like that. I think just having those in your back pocket and, and snapping back with them in a sense um, can sometimes catch people off guard because then they're like, oh yeah, all bodies are good <laughs> bodies. Yeah. You know, it might leave them thinking a little bit more about, oh, should I have said that? What did she mean by that? Is that a conversation I want to follow up with? You know, like I said, like right. those nuggets of knowledge we're planting. Um, so it could oh, even for be sure. things like that in situations. And I love that you said that bodies are always changing because I just saw even today, like this um, comment about how it's not a matter of if your body's going to change, it's a matter of when. And yeah. so it's better to start n- disassociating your worth with your body now than later when things change. And um, mm-hmm. I just think that's reality. Like throughout mm-hmm. your whole life, regardless of what you look like now, it's mm-hmm. going to change. Like no mm-hmm. doubt about it. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, 100%. When it comes to loving our bodies for what they can do for us, I want to talk about intuitive movement because mm-hmm. this is something that I kind of... I don't know who really coined this phrase um, or if it's even really a recognized thing called the quote unquote intuitive movement, but that's what I call it because that's what makes sense to me. But what are some reasons to exercise and some reasons not to exercise? I think this is something so important in, in the health industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think of that as the joyful movement principle of intuitive eating, um, they may call that something else now. I know they mm. updated the book not too long ago, but I always suggest people exercising in a way that feels good on their body and in a way that is enjoyable. Um, if we are exercising and it's constantly painful, we don't like it, we're you know so sore for days that we can't even function or it sounds awful or it seems more aligned with self-harm than self compassion or or enjoyment um it's probably not a good thing um and that maybe look for that may look differently for different people and at different times within your life um i know there's been times in my own life when i've been more active and less active and you know not viewing that as good or bad but just as different and realizing that i can still be active in a lot of different ways and it, it doesn't mean it's better or worse but just different Um, I mean, I definitely think movement is a really good thing for people, um, but having a good relationship with it is important as well. Yeah, I I think back to I work at a gym and um, which kind of gives me an inside scoop, an inside perspective Mm -hmm. on so many things that I witness and watch go down and some things kind of burn my shorts, but, you know, I just hold it together and whatnot and because sometimes it's not my place to bring things up, but we have this, this giant chalk wall. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is basically, why do you work out? Why do you exercise? Mm -hmm. And so individuals are able to write kind of their goals or what their, their reasoning, their motivation behind this movement. And sometimes there's so many things that I see they're so toxic, Mm -hmm. um, such as like to punish myself Mm -hmm. or in order to eat whatever I want or to get more dates or things like that. And so when I walk past, sometimes I'll just brush up against it and be like, Ooh, that got smudged, you know, (laughs) I'll be like, well, shoot, look at that. That's gone. Um, But then there's also so many other things that I think are so positive of, Mm -hmm. you know, I work out for my mental health Mm -hmm. and, or because it feels good because I deserve it because I want to, Mm -hmm. um, because it's social hour for me and my friend, you know, so Mm -hmm. be it. And there's so many great reasons to, to move. So 
sometimes I know that if I'm not tired and I've got a bunch of built up energy, I'm like, I better go do some, you know, I better go run, do some elliptical something because I'm, I got to tucker myself out somehow, <laughs> you know, or I'm not going to sleep tonight or, or just because it feels good. You get that dopamine, you get that rush of adrenaline and, and whatnot. And there's so many great reasons to work out. I think we always think of working out with weight loss and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to be associated like that. And I don't even love the word workout because what are you working out? Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's so I'm, I'm always just kind of like, I love exercise. I love movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I, I wanted to ask you how you think that listeners can create an actually healthy relationship with this movement. Mm-hmm. How can they figure out, Hey, am I wanting to genuinely move my body or is it still that diet culture? That's kind of just in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it takes sometimes rebuilding from the very ground up. Um, sometimes I have clients who we just get rid of exercise altogether for a little bit and we have to spend some time apart from it in order to reintroduce it with fresh eyes and decide, is this really benefiting me? Was that really benefiting me? What needs to change? What are my red flags for unhealthy exercise? Um, Because sometimes when we're in it and it's so habitual and ritualistic, um, it can be difficult to recognize the blind spots that we might have with exercise. Um, I also think variety within exercise is important as well. Um, Similar to like in food. Um, I think variety important is important with food as well um, because it, it causes us to turn inward and be more curious when we're going to choose the type of movement as opposed to, well, this is just what I do. It's Tuesday. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what if Tuesday when you woke up today, you didn't want to do that? Now right. what? <laughs> what do you, <laughs> you know? do? Yeah. Um, but when we're forced to check in with ourselves, we're able to make a decision that may better align with what we really need on that day or in that moment. Yeah, I love that. If you had to give our listeners one last nugget of knowledge that you would say to any, maybe someone who's struggling with their eating habits or finding food freedom or anything in that regard, what's your number one piece of advice that you would kind of give them just to instill some hope to keep on trucking? Mm -hmm. The first thing that came to mind was to be curious uh, and to be open-minded. I think a lot of times when we're going through treatment. It can be difficult to trust others. It can be difficult to not know certain aspects of our recovery if they're, um, you know, doing blind vitals or something like that. Mm. Um, But I mean, you have to trust the specialists on your team and that their long-term goals align with your long-term goals. Like they want you to hang out with your friends. They want you to have more freedom. They want you to be able to travel, to go back to school, like whatever that looks like. Um, and it may not feel like it in the moment, but there is a reason for what it's, there's a reason for the things that they're suggesting, um, even if it feels really hard or really unfair in the moment. Um, and I think curiosity as far as being curious about the habits or the rituals that you're doing and are they benefiting you or are they aligning with the eating disorder? Because um, even when I think of food preferences for some of my clients, you know, if sometimes they've done these certain food preferences for such a long time, they feel like, oh, well, this is just what I like or what I don't like. And sometimes mm-hmm. when we tear it down and we start looking at it a little bit deeper, it's like, oh, this was aligned with the eating disorder for a really long time. And I Zucchini noodles aren't always that good. <laughs> right. But it was actually something that was not what I liked at all. And mm-hmm. so I think being curious and being open-minded are the two biggest things that I can leave listeners with. 
I love that. I could not have said it any better. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you. And with that, thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope that Emily and I have brought some awareness and empowerment to your minds in regards to orthorexia, diet culture, health at every size, and so much more. If you know someone that would benefit from this episode, please send them this podcast. Be sure to check out we all underscore eat and nourish support on Instagram or visit www.weall-eat.com for more information. And of course, at every ounce dot of strength. Until next time, may you fight with every ounce. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please remember that this podcast, my Instagram account, or any other content on my website should not be used as a replacement for therapy or professional treatment. Eating disorders and mental health conditions are serious psychological and physiological illnesses that should be treated appropriately by licensed professionals. This space is simply for the purpose of community support, offering suggestions, giving hope, and encouraging recovery. Until next time, may you fight with every ounce of strength.